0: Thank you for listening to this Donna Cloney Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donna Cloney Parish, please check out our website uk or find us on social media and before Matthew brings the word of God to us I'm just going to pray for Matthew and uh, we'll pray for the word of God which we're going to hear Lord as we listen to your word we pray for an open mind we pray Lord Jesus that we we have a listening here to your word help us oh Lord and be with Matthew as he brings us the word of God for in Christ's name we pray amen thank you Matthew. Thank you, George. Well, can I uh, pass on thanks to your rector, Reverend Brian and to Reverend uh, George as well for uh, the kind welcome to be here this evening. It is strange uh, speaking to a body of people in a church and also uh, having a camera in front of you. So if you are listening at home, uh, I'm glad that you're listening and I pray that God's word will be a blessing to us all, whether at home or in the church building tonight. I believe that you were going through a series in the Apostles' Creed tonight. We're going to take a wee break from that. Although, let me just say one thing about the Apostles' Creed. It is a wonderful thing that, as Bible believing Anglicans, we can stand and declare what it is we believe week upon week upon week. So, always remember that whenever you stand to declare what it is you believe. So we are going to study together that passage that I read a few moments ago, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you do have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to turn to that, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses uh, 6 to 12. And before we do that, let us just pray. And I take for my prayer tonight a verse from a hymn, from the hymn writer Charles Wesley. My gracious master, And my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the world abroad the honours of Thy name. Amen. Amen. So, First Timothy chapter four, verse six to twelve. Let me begin tonight by asking you all a question: What is a good servant? Let me ask you this: What is a good servant? of jesus christ well a servant is someone who has a master they serve their master they work for them they toil and they strive for their master and as believers we serve the lord jesus christ that is indeed our joy to do so as we have been saved by him we want to serve him all the days of our life and so this passage tonight teaches us something about what it means to be a servant but more than that a good servant of Jesus Christ. We shall learn that that a a good servant of Christ holds to scripture, they hold to the teachings of scripture, they hold to sound doctrine, to sound teachings and they train in godliness, they toil and they strive for the gospel and they set an example to those who are around them, but primarily to the believers as the word teaches. And the letter of 1 Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, or you probably know this, are commonly known as the pastoral epistles. And that is essentially because they deal with everything from uh, pastoral issues uh, to running a church to dealing with what is actually taught within that church. And so that's why they're called the pastoral epistles. And you'll notice that they're written to individuals as opposed to churches as a whole. For instance, uh, the the, church, uh, the book of Galatians is written to the church in Galatia, whereas this book is written to Timothy. And, and so it's, it's quite personal. It's a personal book. Timothy was uh, raised in a godly home. We read about that in the book... Uh, earlier in the book of Timothy, and he sat under the ministry of the Apostle Paul, which is a wonderful thing. He sat under the ministry of Paul, and he is now a young leader in a church in Ephesus. And Paul, he cares for this young leader, and that is so clear and evident throughout the letter. He wants him to lead well, hence why he's writing to him in the first place. And so we're studying from verse 6, but by way of context to what has just been mentioned beforehand, verses 1 to 5, let me let me set the scene for you. Verses 1 to 5 gives a description of false teachers, and it talks about apostasy. Now, apostasy essentially means those who have fallen away from the faith, those who were uh, once in the faith, but they are no longer in it. They have departed. They were never sincere in the first place. In their belief and so that's what verses 1 to 6 have been talking about but if you look at verse 6 with me you'll see it opens with a call to Timothy to teach these things these truths to the church in Ephesus so we might ask ourselves well what is he talking about well he's talking about the things that have just went beforehand there in verses 1 to 5 that is the things about false teachers and the things about apostasy. And we see that if Timothy puts these things before the brothers, as we read there in verse 6, or the congregation, the church he's leading, he will, as a result, be a good servant of Christ Jesus. The passage in verse 6 there mentions, uh, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ being trained, Being trained in the words of the faith. And this is referring to scripture. God's revealed truth to us. And indeed, scripture is so important. It is so important. It is fundamentally important to the life of faith. And so we as believers, we should be rooted in the scriptures. It is our final authority. It is the authoritative word of God. And we hold we should hold to it the another translation of the bible called the new american standard bible it words it like this it says constantly nourished on the words of faith nourishment is so essential It's necessary for growth if we were to have no nourishment for quite a while we would fade away and we would uh, we would we would die because nourishment is key. Nourishment is needed. And so are you seeking tonight nourishment from God's word and indeed all the days of your life? Or is the Bible, we all have plenty of Bibles at home here, has that just been on the shelf for quite a long time without being touched? Are you seeking nourishment from God's word? It goes on to say there in verse 6, the good doctrine. And this isn't the bit where you might think, oh, well, this has nothing to do with me. It's it's only for ministers or theologians or, or, or writers or Christian authors. But doctrine is so important for every believer. I'm a firm believer that every person who thinks about God is a theologian. And doctrine is so important. Why it is so important? Because We need to know what we believe, especially in today's uh, age. We need to know what it is we believe and why we believe it. And how do we do that? By reading God's word, the Bible, by reading what it says here, you have followed. Timothy followed the Bible. He followed the good doctrine. And as a result, he is a good servant of Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 7 with me, uh, following the instruction to be committed to God's word and the good doctrine, Paul then goes on to instruct that believers should avoid false teaching. And there's so much truth in that for today because we might uh, be comfortable and we might think that false teaching doesn't happen, but it does happen. It does. There's so much false teachers, many false teachers out there. And so we should be wary of that, to, to pay heed to what Paul's saying here. But he says this to Timothy. He does, he does this by writing, have nothing to do with the irreverent, silly myths. It's quite a strong sentence. Well, what is a myth? A myth is something that isn't true. There's no truth in it. And furthering Paul's point, have nothing whatsoever to do with this false teaching. Rather, remain rooted in the good doctrine remain rooted in true teaching. I wonder you probably you probably do, you might even say it yourself here the phrase, Mrs. So and so, such a godly lady, or Mr So and so or so and so, they're very godly. Well, Paul lays out what believers must have nothing to do with, and then he goes on to say he gives an alternative what they should have everything to do with, and that is godliness. He says in verse 7, rather train yourself for godliness. This is a proper Christian attitude. So let us think about this for a moment. What actually is godliness? Well, let me suggest to you it is reverence toward God. The word godliness is found most frequently in the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Godliness It is a personal attitude and godly actions, godly behavior is displayed in a way a Christian uh, goes about their life in a way a Christian devotes themselves, a way a Christian behaves. Paul, he talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where he talks there about the mystery of of godliness. You'll see just uh, a couple of paragraphs above our text for this evening. But the passage, the point really is, the passage says, train yourself for godliness. To be godly, you must train in godliness. And this word, training, implies that this is an exercise. This is an exercise, so we can't be in the mindset of thinking, I'm just going to wake up one day and finally I'll be godly. Or I'll wake up when I'm a certain age and I'll be godly when I get there. It's an exercise for all believers, whether young or old. The Bible translation I I used a moment ago says, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. And so you can see the the much-loved athletic language that Paul uses uh, to further his point. It requires exercise. It requires proper motion. Christianity isn't just a lazy activity or social identity. Christianity requires exercise and so are you going this spiritual discipline of uh, trying to produce to exercise to produce godly living because what is the alternative? Ungodliness and that might help you determine whether you're in this exercise. Whether young or old this is a discipline for each and every single one of us we must train for godliness, have nothing to do with uh, ungodliness or false teaching, but rather studying the Bible God's Word. Verse eight, look at it there with me, please. It communicates that bodily training is of some value, but the spiritual discipline of godliness is of value but is of value in every single way. What does he mean by this? Well, what Paul means is that physical training will one day expire because we will die. But this godliness will embrace this life, but also the life that is to come, eternity. And then in verse 9, he goes on to say, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And this is a frequent phrase used by Paul in his letters. So, what is it that is trustworthy? Well, he's referring to what he's just been talking about. Everything that I have said is trustworthy. You can trust it, Timothy. It deserves full acceptance. In verse 10, he goes on to say, to this end. So we see some of the goal of what Paul is trying to get at here. It is that believers obtain godliness. We toil and strive, he talks about there. And Paul, is mentioning the gospel here. As Christians, young or old, we must engage in gospel work, sharing it through our actions, our deeds, and through our speech, every day with all we meet. We should take much joy in this toil and striving, because in doing so, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be a good servant. Of Jesus Christ. In an age of pleasure. Why should we toil and strive? Well Paul answers that. He says because of our hope. Because this is what he says. We have our hope. And that hope is the hope of eternal life. Of being with God one day fully in eternity. Without the tarnish of sin. And this is a sure hope. A sure hope. When everything else in the world is so unsure, the Christian has cause for much joy because they have a sure hope. That is eternity with Christ. So as Christians do, we just simply, uh, once received, wait and live out the stages of life and then die. Well, no, we toil and we strive in light of the hope that we have. The passage there in verse 10 says, living God, two words, living God. And that can communicate such a wonderful truth. God is living and our living God still saves people today through his son, Jesus Christ. And something I think we need to think about uh, is the phrase where Paul says, saviour of all people, especially those who believe. And a few people get a wee bit confused about that and they might think, does that mean then everybody is automatically in heaven? Because it says, you might, you might even think that yourself when you read, when you read that. Saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Well, it doesn't mean that everybody will be in heaven automatically. That's not what the Bible teaches. But Saviour of all people is making reference that Christ died for all people. His death is sufficient for all people. But it is only those who believe will be saved. Which is what the second half means, especially of those who believe. And so I hope that helps to to understand that verse a wee bit more. Those who believe and place their faith in Jesus are saved. That is their hope. They are saved. They have no fear of condemnation. And... Those who do not, those who do not face condemnation. And so there's a great urgency being communicated here in this verse. Those who do not face punishment for their sin. And so see the urgency from God's word to turn to him, to repent from sin and place all trust and faith in in Christ. Trust in the work and the person of Christ alone. Uh, verse 11, if you look at it there with me, it says, command and teach these things. And that refers to the paragraph before another wee phrase what Paul puts into his writings. Verse 12 then, Paul gives their practical advice. It's good that we all get practical advice from time to time from people whom we trust. Paul here he gives practical advice to Timothy this young leader in the church. I want to take you back to the time when this letter was written to the to the Greek culture of the day for a moment and see if you can see the parallels between that day and today. The Greek culture of the day placed a great value upon age, upon experience and so if you were an older person, a senior person, you were greatly valued because you've had loads of experience through life. You have uh, been, uh, you have so much experience and you're so wise in the way of life. Timothy, that, that might be true still today, if you think of today. Uh, there's, there's respect for older people, isn't there? Because of their age, because they have lived a life, they, they have experience. But if we think of the Greek culture here, Timothy was probably in his 30s. He was a young pastor coming into a church where there would have been senior saints. And he, however, did not have the respect of the older men, perhaps, in the church. And so Paul instructs him by saying, be a leading example, Timothy. You may not have... Uh, these older men within the church on your side but be a leading example he says let no one despise you for your youth this verse is uh, commonly quoted at the, the youth service probably the most frequent verse at a youth service but he says let no one despise you for youth in essence let no one dismiss you because you're young the New American Standard, I quoted a moment ago, let no one look down on you. So you see the idea that is being conveyed here. He's a young pastor, and Paul saying, set the believers an example. A good question to ask would be, why would young people be looked down upon anyway? Because of their youth. They can't exactly help the fact that they are young. You can't change your age. So why would they be looked down upon? Well, the truth is they can be and they are looked down upon. Perhaps it is because of their attitude. Young people can be known uh, before you actually meet them by their attitude. Young people have youthful follies. Young people are full of enthusiasm that might lead them on to do something foolish and therefore might result in older people looking down upon them. But needless to say, it's important too that older believers, uh, older believers can act foolish too in the church if they dismiss younger believers who are in fact leading by an example. And so it's important to note that the principle of respecting your elders here, you know, Paul isn't saying, disregard all respect for your elders here, Timothy. That principle is maintained the whole way throughout. And it's important that it is maintained today that young people respect their elders. But Paul, he gives young believers practical advice on how to deal with this, looking down upon them uh, well so If you are at home and you're a young person, please do listen carefully to this. He says to Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see, if you set an example to older believers in these things, they will have no cause to look down upon you. Rather, you will have been a good example to them and by doing this you are a good servant of Jesus Christ so let me ask you all a question young or old do you set an example to the believers in your church because the old need the young and the young need the old and part of the body of believers and part of the church Is your speech an example? Is it honouring to God? Is it pure? Is your conduct pleasing to the Lord at home uh, when you're out and about with your friends, your family? Are you always seeking to put away sinful ways? And do you show true sacrificial love that is seen by others within your family or your friendship groups? Are you an example in the faith? Are you committed to the faith? Are you committed to Jesus Christ? And do you set an example in purity? Paul actually tells Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to flee youthful passions. And I think there's so much that we could mention tonight, but I'm going to finish now very, very soon, about the age we live in on that note, about the, the sexualized world that we live in. Because it is. We live in a world where, in this digital age, where you can have immediate impure pleasure on the end of your phone, or your TV, or whatever it is. And so it's important that, as believers, whether young or old, we flee those things. And by doing so, we will be... A good servant of Jesus Christ. So, three things. What is a good servant of Jesus Christ? It is holding fast to the, uh, and being rooted to Scripture and to true teaching. You have a wonderful church here where that is the case, where the Scriptures are taught faithfully each week. Second thing, train for godliness. And the third and final thing, set an example in your speech in your conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So this Sunday evening, I really do pray that you uh, go away and think about these things and dwell upon them in this incoming week. So let us just pray and thank God for his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do indeed thank you for your word. It is wonderful to us. It is a guide uh, to us. And we, Father, we just pray that you would help us to hold fast to the teachings of Scripture. Father, that you would help us in this training and exercise for godliness. And Father, that you would help us in our speech, our conduct, in our love, in our faith, in our purity, so that we may be effective witnesses wherever we are and serve your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all we do. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Before I do go, I'd just like to say once again thank you and I trust you're all well. It's been a very turbulent, uh, last time I was here I think it was uh, July probably of last year and it's been an interesting year to say the least, but I do pray you're all safe and well. Thank you. Welcome to the Donna Parish Podcast. We're an Anglican evangelical church committed to glorifying God, preaching the gospel And making disciples. Our current evening series is from First Kings.